God, may the words of my lips and the meditations of each and every one of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you. For you, O oh God, are our rock and our redeemer. It's in your name we pray. Amen. I'm sure that I have shared this before, and I will probably share it again, but the Gospel of Luke is my favorite gospel. I'm sure that a pastor having a favorite gospel is the equivalent of a teacher having a favorite student. We know we aren't supposed to have favorites of certain things, and yet we all know that we do. And so I confess that while there are important things that each of the other gospels offers to us, the gospel of Luke is the one that I turn to time and time again. From the very beginning, when we are told the story of Mary and the visit she received from the angel to the shepherds out in the fields all the way to the very end when two people encounter Jesus on the road to Emmaus, the Gospel of Luke is filled with hope. It is filled with stories of people who are on the fringes of society who have transforming encounters with Jesus and their lives are forever changed. But the other reason that I love this gospel so much is that it is filled with scenes that take places at tables and around meals. There is something special about gathering around a table and sharing a meal with one another. Whether it's a holiday or a celebration, or maybe it's just an average and ordinary dinner on a busy weeknight, when we gather at a table and break bread together, for just a moment, we are united in a common need and a common purpose. And I also believe that each of these gathering times provides an opportunity for us to encounter Christ and to be transformed through our relationships with those who gather with us. When Jesus gathered with his closest friends on his last night and shared a meal, I don't think that was out of pure convenience. He knew that sharing a meal together would be an act that they would repeat every day, multiple times a day for the rest of their lives. And so when it came time for Jesus to give his followers a way to remember him, he chose a meal made out of two ordinary everyday elements, wine and bread, two items that were and are abundant at tables around the world still today. At the end of this gospel that is filled with stories about people with ordinary lives who are transformed by a meal, suddenly all of us, rich and poor, young and old, powerful and powerless, have an opportunity to take part in a meal and be transformed ourselves. Today is World Communion Sunday, as Mr. Monkey Business helped teach us just a few minutes ago, a day when Christians around the world are celebrating the fact that we are all united when we gather at this table and share in this meal of remembrance. Around the world, Christians will take communion with their communities of faith just like we will in just a few moments. We will each approach communion differently, since each of our churches and traditions have different practices when it comes to communion. But it isn't about how we take communion that matters, but about where our hearts and our spirits are as we draw close to the table. So with that in mind, let's turn to our passage for today and see what we can draw from it as we collectively prepare our hearts and spirits to receive communion. 
I invite you to turn in your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 14, beginning in verse 16. If you are using the Pew Bible in front of you, this can be found on page 76 of the New Testament. Let's read these words of Jesus this morning. Then Jesus said to him, Someone gave a great dinner and invited many. At the time for the dinner, he sent his slave to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is ready now. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a piece of land and I must go out and see it. Please accept my regrets. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I'm going to try them out. Please accept my regrets. Another said, I have just been married and therefore I cannot come. So the slave returned and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and said to his slave, go out at once into the streets and the lanes of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. And the slave said, sir, what you have ordered has been done and there is still room. Then the master said to the slave, go out into the roads and lanes and compel people to come in so that my house may be filled. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So if I asked you to picture this story in your mind, I don't think it would be too difficult. We picture a large room with a long table, chairs running up and down both sides, probably extravagantly decorated with platters of good smelling food spread down the center, ready to be consumed by those who are present. I imagine that the host in this story and his household spent days preparing for this meal, ready to impress anyone who was gathered with their hosting abilities. We don't know why this person was throwing a banquet, but I think that the reason this banquet is being given is to give the host an opportunity to impress those who were invited. And this guest list was very exclusive. So it comes time for everyone to arrive. And instead of opening the front door and finding a line waiting at the gate with people ready to come in, nobody is there. So the host sends out his staff who come back with regret after regret after regret for the host. Whether it's because they are making a business deal or they have just won the lottery and are making a life-changing purchase or they've just gotten back from their honeymoon, those who were invited don't show up. Naturally, the host is very upset about this and he has every right to be. He was offering the best of the best for his guests. How could they possibly turn him down and not show up? Oftentimes when we talk about this parable, we assume that the host of the meal is God and God is inviting us to this banquet and that we are the guests who are making excuses about why we can't show up. We might hear this parable and be told that as followers of Jesus, we need to stop putting worldly things before our love of God and neighbor. And it's very easy for us to say, I'll try to be more like the host who turned an exclusive party into an example of radical hospitality. I will try to let this parable be a reminder that when God hosts a banquet, all are invited. There's nothing wrong with this response to the parable, 
but I think that this response is the easier answer and could easily be one of those things that we think about for a couple of days after we leave this room, but it doesn't truly challenge and transform us. So instead of thinking of ourselves as the guests who are putting worldly things before their love of God, what if instead we are the host of the banquet? This parable allows us the opportunity to think about the ways in which the actions of people are a direct result of the social systems that they come from. Our society and our culture shapes the behaviors that we have. They can govern our interpersonal relationships, and they even play a role in how we respond to certain situations. This parable features an elite person who is used to throwing a banquet and having people show up purely because he invited them. This person is used to opening the doors and for people to show up on his terms and at his request. He lets them know what time to be there, but that's all that he has to do. He doesn't have to put much effort into getting people to walk through the door. Except that's not the case in our parable for today. The host of the party is doing the same things that he has always done, but this time it isn't enough to draw people in. When the door is open, no one enters. And so he sends out one of his household staff to remind the guests that the banquet is ready, but that still isn't enough. What the host is offering is no longer enough to draw in their, the guests. Their attention has been pulled to different things like security and prestige and family. These three things were important to the foundation of society in first century Palestine, but they are also things that are important in our society today as well. So the host realizes that he can no longer rest on the things that have always worked, and his response is to get angry and frustrated. And he turns that anger into something completely unexpected. He breaks with the social order, opens the doors, sends out the staff, and invites those in society that were not seen as important. All of those who would have been on the lowest rung of the social ladder were now the ones with the invite. After they came in, there was still room, and so more people were invited, anyone who wanted to come. And this story suddenly shifts from one that is about an exclusive party to one that is about hospitality and generosity that we associate with the kingdom of God. There are many songs that I love because they have lyrics that talk about tables and acceptance and making room. Some of these are Christian songs or religious songs, but many of them are not. They're secular songs. The title for this sermon is based on a song called Crowded Table by the High Women, and I invite you to take a moment sometime this week to find that song and to listen to it if you would like. But another favorite song comes from Adina Menzel's Christmas album, and it is called At This Table. I'm giving the choir a fair warning that I have already planted the seed with Adam to have this song be sung at some point on a communion Sunday in the future. Even without Adina's incredible voice singing the lyrics, the words are beautiful and powerful. They say, at this table, everyone is welcome. At this table, everyone is seen. At this table, everybody matters. No one falls between. At this table, you can say whatever. 
At this table, you can speak your mind. At this table, everything's forgiven. There's enough for everyone. At this table, there will be no judgment. At this table, mercy has a seat. At this table, we are sons and daughters. There's no place I'd rather be. So come as you are. Remember that the door is always open. Come as you are. The perfect gift that you can bring is your heart. So come, come as you are. These words express a type of love and hospitality that we should all strive for in our own lives. But we should also be striving for this type of love as a church, to be a place where we can bring our full selves to this table and to know that we are loved. We should always be striving to be a place where we know that even when we might disagree with one another, we are united as siblings in Christ. We should want to be a place that has crowded tables, a place where any and all who want to come close to Jesus are given a chance to do so. If we indeed are like the host in this story, we've got work to do, friends. We have to take a look at the ways that we have been shaped and formed as this local church and ask ourselves if the traditions and systems that have shaped us are still the ones that we should follow. Or maybe it's time for us to think bigger, to think more generously, to throw open the doors and to go out into the streets and invite people in by saying, there is room for you here. This parable invites us to picture a future that God has dreams about and to take steps toward that future right now in the present. After worship today, we will gather as a community in the fellowship hall for the first of several listening sessions. These sessions will provide our church an opportunity to reflect and to share about our past, to consider where we are right now in this moment, and then to dream together about the future about of what kind of church we hope, want, and need to be. Much like the host in our parable today, we will spend time thinking about the traditions and systems that have shaped us, and then try to discern with God's help what to carry forward and what new paths to forge. It just so happens that these conversations will happen around tables and around a meal. My hope and prayer as we gather is that we will have open ears, open hearts, and open minds as we share together and allow ourselves to be aware of the ways that God and the Holy Spirit are moving in this place. But before we get to that meal happening down the hall, we will share a meal together as part of worship. It might not be an extravagant one, but it is a banquet that has been prepared and is set for you. In some Christian traditions, communion is known as Eucharist, which is the Greek word for thanksgiving. And each time that we take part in communion, we have an opportunity to give thanks to God. When we gather at this table, we are reoriented to being people who are just individuals on their own journey, to being a people who are united together capable of imagining Christ in the world. Each of us has a seat, has a place, and all we have to do is show up. This table is a table of radical and extravagant hospitality, 
a place where any and all who want to come close to Jesus can gather and can participate in the act of bringing the kingdom of heaven here to earth. We are getting ready to enter into our practice of the discipline of silence. And this time, especially today, I hope you will use to prepare your heart and your spirit for communion. But before we do that, I invite you to take the insert in your bulletin with the lyrics from the song that Seth and Matt, Matt led for us earlier. And we are gonna sing the chorus together. I do just fine singing in a choir. Singing solos, we'll let the spirit do its work. How about that? The chorus starts with the words, lay down your burdens. And as we prepare our hearts to come to the table, I would like for us to sing this chorus together again as our collective prayer. And then we will have a few moments of silence for you to share with God anything that is on your heart. So let us pray and sing together. So lay down your burdens, lay down your shame, all who are broken, lift up your face, oh wanderer, come home, you're not too far, so lay down your Lay down your heart, come as you are. 